Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Was We had a Sunday night service, and in the middle of the service, or like right before the service, the youth would come up to me and say, Hey, Pastor Sean, can we go to Fargo's? Now, those of you that have grown up in Colorado Springs know what Fargo's is. Fargo's is this wonderful, greasy pizza place that can fit probably a lot of people. It's like a big two-story building. It's got a Western theme. There's arcades. You can fit about, we, we, we would have just awesome times going to Fargo. So after the service, I'd say, sure, let's go to Fargo's. And then on the spur of the moment, all the youth, all the parents, about 50 of us would descend upon Fargo's on a Sunday night, and we'd have pizza, and we'd have fun, and we'd have all this great time of fellowship. And so Fargo's was kind of a, a place for our youth group to go and hang out. And right before I left that position as youth pastor to come here to Emmanuel, I said, let's have one last meal at Fargo's. Let's have Pastor Sean's last supper. And so I got all the youth together and all the families, and we descended on Fargo's Pizza for that one last time together as a youth group. And, and those, those last suppers, those last meals are bittersweet. Because during those times, you get to talk about the memories, you talk about the good times, you, you have fun, you have fellowship, but it's also bittersweet because you're saying goodbye. Kind of like what we're doing with Andrew and Julie tonight. We're, we're kind of saying goodbye. It's our, our last time to kind of be together with them as a church family. And so there, there's something bittersweet about having a last meal with some close friends that you've grown to love over the years. In our passage today in Luke, Jesus celebrates one last meal with his closest friends that he had spent the last three years with before he goes to the cross. Now, this can be called the Last Supper because it was the last supper that Jesus celebrated with his disciples before he went to the cross. But it can also be called the First Supper because it's the first time anyone had ever instituted the Lord's Supper commemorating the body and blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. What we would call the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table or Communion. So let's read together. Let's pick up where we left off last week. If you remember last week, we spent all of our time talking about Judas. Satan had entered into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen, but this is God's unfolding of his plan. So let's pick up in verse 7. Of chapter 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher, says to you, Where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished, prepared it there, or prepared there, and they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this section because basically Jesus omnisciently, sovereignly 
has made all the details come together for the celebration of the Passover meal. This last meal that he's going to have with his disciples. He sends Peter and John to go make preparations and then they're able to do that. So let's really focus where we are this morning on verses 14 through 20. The institution of the Lord's Supper. Verse 14. When the hour came... He reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and he would have given thanks. He said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, before we dive into this passage, it's very important for us to understand the significance of the Passover meal the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Back in Exodus under Moses' leadership, the Lord gave instructions for Moses to tell the Israelites to celebrate the Passover. It was the meal they would eat with the roasted lamb, the pure spotless lamb. They would put the blood on the lintels and doorposts of their home. When the angel of death passed over, they would be saved, and they ate that meal together. And so we find out from Exodus chapter 12, verse 14, This day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generation as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. So Jesus and his disciples, in keeping with the traditional Jewish custom as well as the law, celebrated the Passover. Deuteronomy 16.3, you shall eat no unleavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. So what happened at a traditional Jewish Passover meal? It's important to know kind of what happened. Well, it would begin with the head of the household, and here Jesus is assuming that role. He's the host. He's the head of the household. He would bless the first cup of wine, and then everyone at the table would dip their bread in the bitter herb sauce, and they would eat that together. And then next, the youngest son would ask the question, why is this night so different from all other nights? And then the head of the family would retell the account of Passover, going back to Deuteronomy chapter 26. And then they would all sing Psalm 113 together as a hymn. And then the second cup was shared. Then the father would bless the unleavened bread, he would break the bread, and then he would give everyone the bread, and they would eat the bread with the lamb that had been sacrificed that would be roasted there. He would carve it up, and they would eat the roasted lamb. Then after the meal, there were two more cups, and then they would sing Psalm 114 through 18. Now, this explains to you in verse 17, if you notice, Jesus took the cup, and divided among them. And then in verse 20, he takes another cup. The Passover meal had four cups of wine. And so probably Jesus is taking the third cup, the cup of redemption, to institute the Lord's Supper. 
But what I want us to do this morning is I want us to explore three truths from this passage of Scripture in preparation for the Lord's Supper. This is not the normal time we take the Lord's Supper. We usually do it on the first Sunday of the month, but I felt like that it would be appropriate if we're talking about the Lord's Supper to celebrate it. So as we prepare, this entire sermon is a preparation for us to take the Lord's Supper. So let's look at these three truths that emerge from this passage of Scripture. Here's the first. Jesus had a great desire to eat one last meal with his closest friends. He had a great desire to eat one last meal with his closest friends. In verse 15, notice what it says. I have earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. I earnestly desire. Now, that is the strongest expression in the Greek language for an intense desire. Jesus has this deep longing. He he wants to spend these last moments with his closest friends eating this Passover meal. He'd shared life with them for the past three years, and this is the culmination of everything. He has this longing to eat with them. You kind of capture this in John chapter 13, John's version of the Passover. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that. Jesus loved them to the end. He loved these men. These are his closest friends. He wanted to have one last meal with them. But notice what he says. I, wanna, I really want to have one last meal with you before I suffer. Before I suffer. And Jesus had told them on many occasions he would suffer. Luke 9, 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This suffering that Jesus talks about is none other than what's going to await him when he dies on the cross. The spiritual anguish of having all the full weight of God's justice coming down upon him in our place. Suffering the shame of the cross. And then in verses 16 and 18, Jesus refers to this fact that he's not going to eat the cup until the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean? He's not going to eat this or drink this cup until the fulfillment of the kingdom of God comes. This would be the last meal Jesus would have with his disciples before the cross, but this would not be the last supper. Do you know when the last supper is? We get to be a part of the last supper. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. That's what Jesus is talking about here. That final day. This this meal anticipates or foreshadows that final meal that we get to take with Jesus. The Revelation 19.9 says, The angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. So here's the tension we live in right now as believers. We live between the already and the not yet. Jesus has already accomplished all of our redemption. He's instituted the Lord's Supper, but yet he's not come back. And we don't have that final consummation of our salvation with the marriage supper of the Lamb. So we live between the already and the not yet. And so what do we do when we take the Lord's Supper? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26 what we do when we take the Lord's Supper. For as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. When? Until he comes back. The Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming Jesus' death 
until he comes back. This is the last supper that Jesus would have with his disciples. But it's the first supper in that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. The body and the blood of Christ. And so the second two truths that we're going to look at this morning are going to focus on the meaning of the Lord's Supper. There are two ordinances, or if you like the word sacrament, or ordinances that the Lord has established for the church. The first is baptism. The second is the Lord's Supper. Here we have Jesus instituting for us the Lord's Supper. So what's the second truth we see this morning? Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper with the bread of thanksgiving. The bread of thanksgiving. Look at verse 19. Jesus says, or it says, He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, Jesus was doing what the head of the household would have done by breaking the bread. The Passover, they broke the bread. But Jesus would have taken them off guard by saying, this is my body, broken for you. It's kind of a graphic and visual way of Jesus breaking the bread, showing what would happen to him on the cross. Now, this is obviously symbolism. Jesus is not saying this is literally my body. He's figuratively, symbolically saying, this bread is symbolic of my body, which is about to be broken on the cross. This passage of Scripture was read earlier during our time of confession, but this goes right to the heart of what Isaiah's prophecy was about what would happen to Jesus' body on the cross. Isaiah 53, 5-7. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus was the true Passover lamb that would soon be led to the slaughter and have his body crushed. For our sins, just like that bread was broken in the Passover. A visual way of saying, This is my body. And it's the bread of thanksgiving. So when you take the bread in the Lord's Supper, it should always bring to your heart thanksgiving. You should be saying, Thank you, Jesus, that your body was broken for me. It fills my heart with joy and thanks to know that your body was broken for me. There's a small little preposition in that passage of Scripture that packs a punch. Notice what Jesus says there in verse 19. This is my body which is given for you. There's great significance in that little preposition for, that little Greek preposition for. It means as a substitute for, in the place of. This is none other than the fact that Jesus would substitute himself in our place on the cross. He would die as our substitute. He would die in our place, for us, in the place of us. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
For it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. He died for us, in the place of us, as a substitute for us, bearing the wrath that we should have borne. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body, the, the broken body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. In my place. So we celebrate the Lord's Supper with the bread of thanksgiving, which symbolizes Jesus' broken body for us as a substitute for us, and it should fill our hearts with thanksgiving, the bread of thanksgiving. But we also know there's the cup. So this is the third truth I want us to see this morning. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper with the cup of the new covenant. The new covenant in blood. Notice verse 20. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This cup that's poured out, poured out. I want you to think of the imagery, pouring out. Now we need to go back to the Old Testament to find out what was the Old Covenant. If this is the the New Covenant in His blood that's being poured out for us, what was the Old Covenant? Well, the Old Covenant was ratified in blood, and it was a very interesting thing that Moses did. Back in Exodus 24, 6-8, this is how Moses ratified the old covenant. How he, it was a covenant in blood. Moses took half of the blood and put it in a basins, and half the blood he threw against the altar, and he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and he said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people. How would you like to be there in that moment? Moses throws the blood on the people. And said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So it was was the blood of the covenant thrown on the people, but it it was more a covenant of obedience. They had to obey the law. There was the sacrificial system where there were blood of animals, but there was really, it never was full and final. There was the day of atonement where the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sacrifice for the sins of the people, and that would cover one year, but then it started all over again. It was always to be repeated. There never was in the Old Testament one final, absolute, once-for-all sacrifice in blood that would take care of all their sins. But in the new covenant that Jesus is instituting right here, he would take care of that once and for all. You know, the new covenant was promised in the Old Testament. The new covenant was promised in the old covenant. In the book of Jeremiah, God speaks through Jeremiah and says this in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The days are coming and and they're right here. Jesus is instituting it. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this 
is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. What's going to happen in the new covenant? Permanent, final satisfaction for sins through Jesus. And then a brand new heart given to us by the Lord. In the new covenant. The new covenant that's poured out. This cup is poured out for you. The same construction for you. The same way the, blood, the, the, the bread was given for you. It's that Greek preposition in the place of. As a substitute for. Again, Jesus died as a substitute shedding his blood for us. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things god did not spare jesus but gave him up for us this new covenant in blood ephesians 1 7 in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace Hebrews 9.22, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. In the Old Covenant, how was the, how was the covenant ratified? Moses would throw blood on the people. He would pour out blood on the people outwardly. They would, they would be covered in blood. Jesus here at the Lord's Supper doesn't throw blood on the disciples. He pours the wine and says, my blood's going to be shed, but instead of it being thrown on you, it's going to come inwardly through faith, and it's going to change your heart, and it's going to bring forgiveness. J.C. Ryle has said this about the Lord's Supper. The two elements of bread and wine were intended to preach Christ crucified as our substitute under lively emblems. They were to be a visible sermon Appealing to the believer's senses and teaching the old-fashioned truth of the gospel that Christ's death on the cross is the life of man's soul. They're lively emblems. Have you ever thought of these? These are lively emblems. What in the world does that mean? It means that they're a visual picture given to our senses as to what Christ is life for our souls. It is a church ordinance that involves bread and cup. It's a visible sermon taken into our mouths as nourishment for our souls. It's important that the Lord's Supper comes after the preaching of the Word. The preaching of the Word is of first importance. You have Word and Sacrament, Word and Supper. The preaching goes first, but we follow it up with a visual sermon See, here's what happens during the sermon. You may not know this, but this is what is happening. Every Sunday that I preach, God's word goes out of my mouth, into your ear, and into your heart. How do you receive the sermon? Through your ears. How do you receive the supper? Through your mouth. And then it goes into your heart. A sermon goes into your ears, into your heart. The Lord's Supper goes into your mouth, into your heart. And Jesus says, 
do this in remembrance of me. Two things about that, do this in remembrance of me. Number one, it's in the present tense, and what Jesus is saying is always do this. Keep on doing this. Continually do this. Don't just do it one time, but continually do this. Always be doing this in remembrance of me. And number two, it's a command. Jesus commands it. So the church is to be commanded to continually do the Lord's Supper. Now you may ask the question, well, how often are we to do it? You want to know what my answer is? Often. Okay. The Bible doesn't tell us how often to do it. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 11.25, in the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you drink it. Now, the early church did it every Sunday. We do it the first Sunday of the month. Some churches do it quarterly. All I can say is that we need to do it often enough to where we can celebrate what Christ has done. Do it often. Now, why do you think this is something that requires eating. Why didn't Jesus tell us to draw a picture of his death, burial, and resurrection? Why not paint a portrait? Why not sing a song? Why not merely listen to a sermon? Why does it involve eating and swallowing? It reminds us of John 6.35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I want you to think about what happens when we take the Lord's Supper. We are picturing, by taking elements into our mouths, we are picturing the spiritual nourishment that Christ gives to our souls as the bread of life. The spiritual nourishment. Not physical nourishment, spiritual nourishment. You see, the historic Baptist stance on this has been that the Lord's Supper is more than just a symbol, more than just a memorial. It's also a means of grace whereby God continues to sustain our faith. It is a joint participation spiritually with Christ in the moment that we take the Lord's Supper. Now, where do you get that whole idea? In 1 Corinthians 10, 16-17, Paul would write this. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? That word participation It's in the present tense. And and some translations say fellowship. It's the Greek word koinonia. That's where we get the word communion. It can mean communion. It can mean fellowship. It can mean participation. And what it means is, it, it means more than just we gather together, we're unified as one church body, and we take the Lord's Supper together. What it means is, is that the moment that we are taking the Lord's Supper, we are presently fellowshipping with Jesus in his real presence with us. Now you say, what do you mean? You sound kind of Catholic, Pastor Sean. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that the body and the blood and the bread and the wine literally become Jesus' body and blood. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is this. Let me explain it. Where is Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of the Father in heaven in his resurrected body. How does Jesus minister to our hearts? 
through the Holy Spirit. So in the Lord's Supper, there's something supernatural and spiritual that happens where Jesus gives us his gifts through the Holy Spirit, and when we take the elements by faith, we are receiving all the blessings that Jesus won for us in the cross, spiritually through the Holy Spirit ministering to us. Throughout history, this has been the Baptist view. Charles Spurgeon even said this, At the table, Jesus feeds us with his body and blood. Now, this is not a sacrament where you get grace and you get salvation by taking the elements. That's not what I'm saying. It is a means of sustaining your faith by giving you strength in your soul through the Holy Spirit giving you that reminder. And so every time you take the Lord's Supper, it's a visual reminder, not only of what Jesus did, but what Jesus is doing now by Strengthening your soul, giving you grace, reminding you of the blessing of your forgiveness, reminding you that you have peace with God, reminding you of all the blessings you have in Jesus. He's not physically present. He's in heaven. He's spiritually present, not in the elements, but in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And I can't quite explain it, but there's something that's spiritual that happens. When you take these elements into your mouth, you are picturing this nourishment that Jesus gives to your soul to show you that you're his child. It reminds me of what the psalmist said in Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Nobody would have a problem here today if you walked out of here after the service and you went to lunch at your favorite restaurant and and depending on how good or bad my sermon was that day, you would say this, I was really fed by that sermon today. That sermon fed me. I was fed by God's word. Nobody would have a problem saying I got fed by God's word. You get fed by a sermon, but you also get fed literally, spiritually, by taking the elements. How often do you walk away saying, I was fed by the Lord in the Lord's Supper? going into my mouth, literally into my mouth. He fed my soul spiritually. He nourished me. You know, sometimes we're so worried about what the Lord's Supper, we we want to protect it from being a kind of a Catholic sacrament that we almost go the other way and it's, it's just only a symbol. It's only a memorial. We don't think about what's happening in the spiritual aspect of taking the Lord's Supper in the here and now where Jesus ministers to our souls right now. He gives us strength and grace until we reach heaven. Did you know that celebrating the Lord's Supper is a worship experience like no other? It's different than prayer. It's different than singing. It's different than listening to a sermon. There's something special and spiritual that happens when God's people come together in a gathered worship service where we all come together and somehow Jesus meets us here through the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And when we take the Lord's Supper, we're not only communing with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, but we're receiving grace, strengthening grace, nourishing grace, grace to keep us going, grace to let us know that we're loved. You see, we're not simply eating a wafer and drinking grape juice. Sometimes kids, you know, I want to take Lord's Supper because I want to have the snack. I want to have the grape juice and the bread. It's not a snack that we're having. It's something very special. We're communing with Christ. We're doing this by faith. 
through the Holy Spirit who lives in us, and we're doing it together, bonded as a church family. So you're receiving spiritual nourishment for your soul, and you're united with all your brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's a cause of thanksgiving and joy. It's the cup of the new covenant in His blood, and it's the bread of thanksgiving. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Now here's the beauty of what happens when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is what I really love. I've been waiting for this all week. Verse 15. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus longed to eat the Passover with his friends. Guess what? Nothing has changed. This same Jesus longs to eat the Lord's Supper with his friends this morning. He loves you just as much as he loved those friends. He died for you just as much as he died for those friends. Now, the circumstances are different. We're not the 12 guys in the upper room physically there with Jesus. We're on this side of the cross, but think about it this way. Jesus eagerly desires to meet with us today and have a covenant meal between friends. He wants to be here. Have you thought about that? Jesus longs to be with his people and to celebrate a meal with us today where he serves us from his table. He's poured the Holy Spirit into our hearts so that we could experience this joy. Romans 5, 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He has given to us. Jesus is not physically here. He's in heaven. But because He's poured the Holy Spirit into our hearts, we can experience His presence joyfully. And there's something uniquely special when we take the Lord's Supper together. It's a covenant meal between friends. Have you thought about that? What was your condition before God saved you? Were you Christ's friend? No, you were an enemy. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were a child of wrath. You were hostile in mind. You were depraved and separated. But now, through the precious blood of Christ, not being thrown on the people, but His love thrown in your heart, this is now a meal between friends. You've been reconciled. To Jesus and you come to the Lord's table we do this in remembrance of Jesus but we also realize that he's sustaining us by his grace nothing magical about the elements but there is something deeply spiritual about Jesus ministering to our souls and giving us strength we're being strengthened so this morning let us celebrate the Lord's Supper with joy and thankfulness because Jesus is truly the bread of life for our weary and sinful souls. I don't know about you, but when I come to church, I want to be strengthened, I want to be nourished, I want to be encouraged, I want to leave with joy and with strength. And one of the primary ways God does that is through the Lord's Supper. So would you bow your heads and just take a few moments to prepare
Think about this as a covenant meal between friends. Jesus is happy to be here to celebrate with you through the Holy Spirit in your heart. And you have every reason to be joyful and thankful as he ministers you to you today and gives you strength to face whatever you're facing. So would you just spend a few moments in prayer this morning? <coughs> Lord, we are thankful that you long to be with us. We, it's just a hard thing for us to even think about, Jesus, that you, you want to be with us. And we know you're in heaven, exalted at the right hand of the Father, so you're not physically with us, but you've poured out your Holy Spirit in our hearts. That through the Holy Spirit in us, both individually and also together as a body, somehow supernaturally, spiritually, you're with us. And you feed our souls as the bread of life. You nourish us, you strengthen us, you give us joy, you give us hope, you give us peace. And so, Lord, as we celebrate this meal together, would we be thankful, would we be joyful, and would we see it as a covenant meal between friends? We were once your enemies, but now we're friends. And it's all because of your cross, Jesus, your blood, shed and your body broken for us. So may we enjoy this meal with you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.